From Noble Robot on East Hennepin Avenue in critically acclaimed Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk games and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. In this episode, it's a post-mortem of the narrative horror role-playing game and outcry with its developer, Quinn K. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Well, I'm Quinn K. I make nice games. You make nice games. Not enough people do that. We say ni- we say it's we a, make it's nice. It's an game. invitation to, for people, and not yeah. everyone takes us up. So yeah. thank you for that. That is wonderful. <laughs> of course, I've, I've made a lot of nice games. In fact, I've, yeah. I've made the nicest damn games. You have ever seen. <laughs> well, now hold on now. <laughs> I Steven, disagree. it's not a competition. <laughs> Everything for Steven is a competition. <laughs> oh goodness! <laughs> you well, have made a lot of games. You have made, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like your itch page <laughs> is stacked. <laughs> I mean, not all of that is games, mind, because I sure. also uh, write poetry anthologies and the like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, a good deal of it is games by this point. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah, that's super cool. So, I mean, there's an outcry. And a couple of the things that you've got on some of your various profiles, as you've mentioned, There Swings a Skull, which is the most metal name of a game ever. <laughs> Um, oh man, that that name's been like spooking around my my head since 2016. Oh. Not like the game idea, just the title of that game has yeah. been like <laughs> with me for a long time. I wrote it into my notes on my phone at one point, and then I was just like, you know what? Now's the now's the time to use this. I um, I really appreciate that as a source of uh, uh, like the seed which a piece grows is like just one little thing about it. Yeah, like I I think a lot of yeah. people have this idea of creativity that it must be sort of like crafted whole yeah. or that it must come from some process it's like it can come from anywhere and it can yeah. just be this little thing that sticks in your head a long time yeah um so i like i like hearing stories about that yeah it's also so vivid it's a vivid vivid phrase mm. that definitely stays with you it makes sense yeah you also do you do pixel art you do music work you do a whole bunch of stuff not just nice games uh, uh the uh it, it feels kind of surreal sometimes to hear that <laughs> because while you're doing it you don't really register it as all that big mm. of a deal especially if you know maybe you're not exactly getting quote unquote the recognition that you feel that sort of uh jack of all tradeness would usually warrant mm-hmm. um i mean I, I do get recognition obviously i've been nominated for an award now which is uh again buck wild <laughs> it's just at the same time i i'm still looking for work in the industry and not really finding it but that's mm. fine yeah yeah it's a tough industry Oh, yeah, especially recently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That it is. Oof. So we, we are here to talk about a specific game, right? We're here to talk about an outcry. <laughs> so I wanted to know how you came up with this idea. An outcry came to me one night when I locked, uh, locked myself out of my apartment in mm. uh, Vienna. Uh, back then, I was uh, living in a flat share with uh, two other fine folks who I'm still, at least one of them I'm still tied with. Mm. Um, and uh, it was around that time that sort of... Uh, uh, a lot of things in this world started going very wrong. Mm. Uh, it was uh, specifically, I believe, I'm not sure if it was the exact evening, but it was definitely around the time that Donald Trump was elected in the United States. Mm. And that is a, that was an event that we definitely even felt, felt even in Austria. Mm. Um, as, uh, uh, I don't know, people just started feeling emboldened for their uh, hateful bullshit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, it was as a result, you know, that sort of stuff going on with me as a non-binary person back then, you know, identifying differently, but still, you know, knowing that 
this was uh, something that affected a lot of people I loved and and myself. Right. Um, I you know it was just kind of like man now I'm also locked out. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> On top of all so, that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, thankfully, I did have a pack of cigarettes uh, back then. I was a smoker. I've since quit. Oh, uh, nice. congrats! Nice. <laughs> and um, yeah, I've um, I just uh, went outside into the courtyard of that building, uh, and I saw it on this like enormous pile of bricks, whose presence until that moment I had not questioned, and I saw like a bird on it, sort of watching me. And I'm not even, but from today's standpoint, I'm not even really sure anymore if there was actually a bird or if I just imagined it. <laughs> um, it might be that sort of different different things I'd seen on that pile of bricks in my time sort of merged together in that moment. But yeah, um, that was sort of the first impulse on an out, for an outcry. Uh, it was around that time that I was uh, working in Twine 1.4. Um, and uh, I believe it was also around the time that 1.4 was updated to 2.0, okay. which for a lot of people was actually the falling off point from that engine. Because mm. they very majorly restructured and changed the syntax of the code yeah. oh. to be a lot less accessible. Hmm. And just generally, like, mess it all up because, like, you know, you were used to a certain way of doing doing the code in Twine, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> you just had no more idea how you were supposed to be making things with it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, I I've been messing around with Twine. There was a, um, I had, and I also had this sort of collection of short stories called the Something Stories. Uh, something Stories uh, were sort of a my first foray into exploring my non-binariness before I was even really and really understood that I was non-binary, um, in that it was about a main character who was uh, neither male nor female, but was always referred to as an as an it would by it its pronouns, mm. and uh, that main character sort of took on a very ubiquitous role, a role of uh, um, basically different role in society, but always sort of a similar flavor of it. Uh, I had I had that concept, and for that concept, I had also made a Twine adventure, which is now on my itch again. Uh, it's called Ah. Hmm. So with those tools, I started my first attempt at an outcry. It was called an outcry already by that point. Um, uh, if I if if I had like changed the name at any point, it would probably would have probably been a good idea. But I'll get to that later. Uh, um, yeah, um, it was called an outcry already by that point. Unfortunately, that first Twine sketch was lost. I don't know. Where uh -oh. It was oh no. Okay. Whatever the case, though, you know it it had it had a lot of the sort of elements of that of what the game has has still has now. Which is, you know, the walking outside, smoking, and then suddenly this uh, horrible noise washes over everything, and this decision of, you know, follow and ignore was already in place uh, then too. So, yeah, that was the inkling of the idea. So, so the the most recent version is not made in Twine, then, if I'm oh, understanding no, no, correctly. No, no, no. Okay. No, no, what, no, no. What engine is it in? <laughs> Oh, uh, the most recent version of the game is uh, is in RPG Maker 2003. It actually has a visual component, a traversal component, and even RPG battles. Hence, you know, ah. it's a narrative RPG. I have heard, I have not really messed with the RPG Maker myself much, um, but I have heard that um, RPG Maker is 
uh, frustrating to work with. <laughs> if it's the nicest way to RPG put it. RPG Maker 2003 for sure is frustrating in okay. certain ways, but also um, this is something that I talked about at one point in the past when, when I chatted about my experience making an outcry on my Patreon. Um, I personally find the use of restriction in the making of my art extremely liberating. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very useful to sort of uh stick down the boundaries mm-hmm. of what you are trying to make. Uh it's a uh it makes sure that the it, it keeps it keeps, you know, um scope creep in check. Yeah. Because certain things are just simply not going to be possible. Right. <laughs> yeah. But then it also it also entices you to push against those boundaries. Yeah. You'd yeah. be like, what can I do with this? What can I do that's going to really just dazzle people? Where people will look at it and be like, I didn't know RPG Maker could do that. <laughs> and I'm happy to say that there are a few things I have managed to do and, and I'll cry that uh, people have had people reacting that way. That's so cool. So, <laughs> yeah. I totally understand that, like, that uh, the restrictive but liberating nature of working in a, in a small box. Cause like, I think when I, I, I feel like I have more experience now. Um, but like when I first started making games, I would just be, you know, I would just work within my limits, but like try to do things out of the box within my limits, which is a weird way of saying that. But like, mm-hmm. I basically would like take what I know and then like twist it so that I could do things that, would probably be easier if I just knew <laughs> the better way of doing And that's it. exactly what I did. Yeah, that is yeah. exactly what I did, for one. Uh, because, you know, An Outcry was my first really major game with a visual component. Yeah, my yeah, first, okay. Like, actually, like, uh, you know, ah, that's a Twine adventure that is that I've now uploaded to my itch mm-hmm. does not have a visual component. It okay. has an audio component, but not a visual one. Sure. Um, and uh, as for An Outcry... And RPG Maker 2003, it's also kind of just like, man, what can I what can I get away with? What yeah. will this engine let me let me do? Yeah. Because in RPG Maker 2003's case, it's also a thing of like, a problem of the engine just genuinely having very horrible performance. <laughs> uh, it's very easy to to make RPG Maker 2003 sweat buckets <laughs> if yeah. you're not careful with how, how much code you put in it yeah, at yeah. the same time it's very funny <laughs> well yeah knowing those limits and running up against them it's it, i think people get really surprised that like genius work comes from inexperienced people or people who don't have a lot of access to tools mm-hmm. and a lot of it is because that like that ability to be an artist under constraint is not something that is out of reach of anybody. It's like, whatever your constraints are, you can still excel. And I think a great example of that is like the, you know, the Beatles famously stopped touring and started being a studio only band at a time when all that was available was four track recorders. Mm. And like, and would they have been such an innovative studio band Mm. if they had 32 track uh, recording in 1965 or whatever? I mean, it's, it's an interesting counterfactual, but like a lot of those things, it, it doesn't always rely on experience or access. Sometimes it's choice too. Yeah. I think when you get more experienced, like sometimes you have to find your way back to putting a lid on it so you are not just floundering around with a million possibilities. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it, it's whatever stage you are in your career experience or resources, 
um, it's it's very applicable to like yeah it, when it's just blue sky do whatever you want it's very hard to find a grasp on something um, and even to take this next step like not just the first step but the next and the next yeah. and the next funny you should mention the Beatles and like the 1960s because like in the 1960s a big literary movement started in France called the Ulipo mm. which is the Ouroi de la Littérature Potentielle Workshop for Potential Literature and those that, that, that was like a, a collection of writers who all basically wrote under these extreme and very convoluted restrictions. And that was one of the major inspirations also on the way that I that I made an outcry, uh, an outcry's text, and also, you know, the engine that I ended up using and the way that I sort of expressed myself in that engine. Yeah. Uh, because spe very specifically, there is a book by Georges Perec, one of the writers of that Ulipo, uh, called A Man Asleep, um, that it was a huge inspiration on uh, on an outcry as well. Did that direct your decision to go with not just RPG Maker, but RPG Maker 2003 specifically? Was that an artificial constraint? Uh, to be honest, uh, the engine choice was mostly because I had already worked in that engine sure. with mm. Off. Uh, and also because it was what I had on hand and because I felt like it was the first possible step for me to sort of overcome a genuinely decade spanning fear of coding uh-huh mm. i feel that uh, i feel that yeah you code for a um, living steven i know <laughs> <laughs> so circumstantial no, I, to begin with yeah. but then then you embrace it yes then i embraced it and you know i remembered all of those things i had read and uh yeah all the things i had read by mm. people of the ulipo and such mm -hmm. And you know, I had already taken some lessons from the Ulipo for that sort of sort of something story uh, thing that I had made beforehand. So it kind of just I mashed it all together, <laughs> and this is what came out. Uh, there's a, that reminds me. There's a, there's a, a, a similar film movement, um, a Danish film called uh, Dogma '95, which is very similar. Uh, uh, very Lars von Trier made a couple of films from it. He's probably the most famous filmmaker who made films in that style, but very similar. Just like this you know uh, only diegetic music like really a lot of constraints just to like force your creativity to flourish um we'll put that in the show notes but i'm sure there are plenty of other examples of people who like you know because what those arbitrary rules are is up to you but you can always ascribe to a, a philosophy it doesn't restrict you it frees you mm -hmm. right yeah exactly mm -hmm. okay so big thoughts uh done let's get to the nitty-gritty yeah right <laughs> I don't know. No, we'll save room for big thoughts. Um, <laughs> we can come back to big thoughts. But yeah. uh, talk about the production. Oh, it was kind of a snowball effect type deal. At the very start, it was only myself. Mm -hmm. uh, I made all of the graphics. Uh, I wrote all of the dialogue. Um, I I I went so f I didn't. I the the thing is, an outcry. There were many attempts at at making an outcry. First mm -hmm. one, of course, was that. Uh, was that um, that Twine game that is now lost? Yeah, and uh, the other one was a point-and-click adventure uh, prototype that uh, I had done with together with my friend Kyra, uh, and uh, that one just kind of crashed and burned very badly, uh, partially due to inexperience on both Kyra uh, on my part. I think both of us were kind of responsible for that. But in the process, I had uh, um, uh, I had commissioned some music hmm. from uh, from some folks, specifically Jacqueline Spooner and Christoph Fry 
uh, someone at the game dev also from my country. At the very start in in mid twenty twenty, you know, pandemic had has been raging on for for like three months, and it was like, well, I'm not gonna get a job right now, so I guess I might as well just try this thing. Um, and you know, I I sat down, I I made graphics, I made the sort of interior space of this place. Uh, in one of the uh, of the postmortems that I posted, um, there's also just sort of this first s- simple sketch of the game world of an outcry. Because mm-hmm. from the very start, from the very start, I wanted the world of that game to be extremely small, mm. like uh, basically like if this were a stage production, it could mm. all happen in the same space, and there would have to be no changes. Okay, I love or that. maybe one change and not no more. Yeah. Talk about constraints. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it was. It's extremely small. Both I did, which I did both as a as a cost saving fa- uh, uh, measure, but also because I knew this was my very first game and I wanted to actually finish it. <laughs> so smart. Yeah, it's an insight so few have from John. That's genius. Yeah, <laughs> I have not done that. <laughs> oh. Alas. <laughs> uh, so you know, I had some music and such, so I was able to like really put together something that kind of felt right and such. And you know, I showed it off to like some uh, some folks. I, I had some dialogue that I'd pre-written for a, a while. I believe the first character in the game whose dialogue I've really written was Schmidt. <laughs> it was like one of the one of the big assholes in that story. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I. I just was able to show that off to someone, to specifically my boyfriend, uh, uh, Kithat. And Kithat just, you know, suggested that uh, he get on board, uh, on board the, t- the project and just uh, make the full screen artwork. And um, the game, and, you know, it snowballed from there. Mm-hmm. I, I talked about my game, about the game. I showed it off in some spaces. First, I just uh, showed it off in like a trans game dev server, and I found immediately found like two musicians who were interested in making things for it. One of whom is now one of my closest game dev friends, Leaflet. Um, like Leaflet and I have been through thick and thin. We've like worked on how many games together now? Yeah, three games. Oh wow! We're, we are working on more. So so yeah, I guess there's something about like my stories and their. Uh, uh, their music that's really just works together. Uh, whatever the case, you know, Leaflet came on board and made made a made a really nice, very chill and mysterious track for the interior of the apartment building and such. And uh, from there, you like uh, it's it's snowballed because like here's here's another thing. Uh, there is a character in an outcry who is a Turkish woman, uh, a Turkish immigrant. Uh, who is employed as the apartment building's uh, janitor? Um, a relatively, relatively common sort of uh, uh, narrative in in uh, Austria, unfortunately, because um, oftentimes you know immigrants are uh, here as elsewhere, you know, exploited for their labor pretty mm. badly. Uh, whatever the case, you know, as a result of that, because I am not Turkish. Uh, I wanted to make sure that I had a sensitivity with somebody who could like look over the dialogue and be like, as well as the designs around this person, this, this character, and tell me like, okay, this is fine. You need to work on this <laughs> or whatever. So, you know, we put a call out for that. And um, uh, we found uh, one, uh, one Kaya, who is a, a really cool uh, 
like uh, low poly developer um, who made a, a, a small uh, sort of car simulation type game called uh, Rust Bucket Revenge. It's very pulpy. It's not like, you know, very a very high heady like uh, horror game or whatever. But, you know, it was part of that Haunted PS1 movement. And Kaya mm. uh, told me, like, where he's suddenly like, hey, do you want to, like, be invited to Haunted PS1? We're currently, like, close invite, but you, you make a, you're you making a cool horror-type game. I think people would like it there. It's low-res and stuff. And, you know, from, from there, it, it kept snowballing because, you know, more people got interested in it. And eventually, like... Uh, the Haunted PS1 demo disc of 2021 was had open call, uh, had you know an open call for submissions, and I was just like, "What the hell? I'm gonna <laughs> we're, we're gonna scrape together a, a a demo as best as we can. Oh no, we could we could only really get one of the two routes in there. Mm. Screw it. <laughs> I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna submit it. And then suddenly, like you have, we are we are we are pleased to say that you've been accepted into the disc. I'm like, what? Ooh. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> that is like I, I love the trajectory of how this game works because you you know you like you said you're just working on it on your own but then you put yourself out there and you showed the game off to folks and they were excited about it and they wanted to jump on and then it just kept as you said it just kept snowballing and I I just love that story because I feel like um the opposite has happened a lot of the time where like you have people have a really cool idea and other and they'll show it off and other people won't want to jump on and so like they're kind of against the world and eventually it comes out there but like maybe the game could have been stronger if they had that initial yeah. support yeah mm -hmm. well also mm -hmm. there's a um i mean when you start you make a couple projects maybe yeah. you start making just the tiniest bit of money mm. you thought maybe i'm going to do this as professionally yeah one of the things that starts closing off to you is that sort of that natural organic artistic movement right yeah. that is that is really i mean it's the thing that like people working in AAA like should really be very jealous of mm -hmm. is the ability to like ideas first get people excited and get people's you know motivation and consideration i mean there's there's i mean as an games being an art and business yeah. is so complicated and annoying mm -hmm. yes <laughs> and um and you're going to have to deal with both sides of it right mm -hmm. there's no no game from like madden 22 or whatever yeah. to like this you know the smallest personal thing on itch mm. is devoid of the other half of that equation there's yeah. always a little bit you know and every, every all the, the math is different for every game mm -hmm. but one of the things that that you have uh, um and quinn you can talk about this like how you dealt with with dealing with these two halves if at all is just how as you bring on collaborators like how much of that is really just about like this is an opportunity to express and, and contribute versus this is an opportunity to work on something hmm the business, the business side of things, and the, the like, uh, is is was definitely you know it was it was a very very, and I I'll be I'll be very frank with you all. An Outcry's development was a very 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 hard time for me. Mm. I made a lot of very hard uh, sacrifices, material sacrifices specifically, uh, making that game because oftentimes you know the expenses of paying people duly and correctly. And you know, fairly for the work that they were putting into this yeah. game, the small two thousand RPG maker two thousand three type game yeah. Yeah. that other people would have probably like all made all the assets for themselves or like with like maybe some friends for free, and then like put out for free, um, like that. This small game ate a lot of my resources, and I had to sell off some very near and dear to me possessions in the process of uh, of making it as a result of that. Mm. 
But, and this is something that I say with some amount of pride, sort of to, to talk about the business side of things, I have not alienated or um, or offended or otherwise mistreated any of the people I've worked with on that game, apparently. This is the kind of thing that you don't really realize until it's all said and done, until the dust is settled. Yeah. But no, there's not to my understanding, no one's really been... <laughs> No one's really been like scorned <laughs> by the way that I've treated them in the in the production process, either from like the from the from the perspective of recompense or otherwise. Mm, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that 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 was worth a lot. It was a very you know destructive process insofar as I lost a lot of my belongings, a lot of things very very dear to me. Uh, among them, funnily enough, uh, my Twin Peaks uh, box sets. Uh, oh no! Which, uh, oh wow! Yeah, Twin Peaks is something so incredibly important to me, and the fact that I now no longer have the means to really watch it anymore is kind of sad. Yeah, that's that's one of those things that an outcry took from me. But you know, it, I I have a cool game out now. Yeah. Well, listeners should, you know, uh, visit your Patreon. Toss a couple <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hey, no. Get hey. Twin Peaks back in their life. That's important. <laughs> no. I don't, I don't mind putting that call out. Like, <laughs> Twin Peaks is great. Yep. You deserve Twin Peaks. <laughs> don't let anyone tell you otherwise. I had, I had like season one and two in that like cool blue box set with uh-huh. the like, with the little, uh, with the little secret compartment where like the fire walk with me oh. piece of paper was in. Oh wow! At that one, and also the you know season three that had very, you know that I had only accrued rather 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 recently, mm-hmm. then. But yeah, both of those I had to sell. <laughs> oh man! Um, whatever the case, you know, um, I am very very happy all the same with the way the outcry panned yeah. out. Like I said, you know, I haven't really offended anyone to my understanding, at least so far. Just hoping uh, in the process of of making it, uh, either by underpaying them or otherwise. And I've uh, I've basically made the game I wanted to make. That's, oh, that's great! The way I wanted to make it. That's yeah. a success story, like all around. Yeah, and that's a lesson I think to other developers who are like, I don't have any money, I don't have any resources, like. I'm not a business. I'll just like make some things with my friends or whatever. And like you had the foresight to make sure that you, yeah, you treated people with respect to their time and efforts artistically, but also literally materially in this world. And, and you made those sacrifices because it was your vision and your game. And I think that is it. You, you, you are right to be proud of that because it is a hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people are like, you know, they're willing to bend on that. Mm. a lot of times and it's very tempting and very easy to not live up to that standard the thing is an outcry is uh, at its very core like a humanist game Mm -hmm. it's a humanist story it's a it's a story that is there to spread in some form or another compassion i also made sure to you know keep that in mind in the production process both for other people who might be affected by this by the subject matter and myself, because there were absolutely moments where uh, an outcast development was uh, grueling, um, yeah. as most games development, all games development actually is, yeah. at one point or another. But in this case, it was just you know exacerbated by the thematic thematic through lines of this game, the uh, uh, the presence of this. Uh, 
grave distress in that story, as well as, you know, the political darkness that it showcases. I think that it's good that, like, the development process fed into the, the ideas of the game. I think that's really cool. And it's something that uh, you can you can kind of feel that in a lot of AAA games where, like, they'll talk about, like, something that uh, a lot of indie games try to do, um, but, the, you know, they don't maybe they don't necessarily have the budget or the um the resources to to pull it off where a triple a game does and they have the resources but due to the way that the development worked um they didn't have everything together or their 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 um their goals some of the you know some of the financial goals i suppose um um run counter to the ideas that they actually have and so you can kind of feel it in the development in the in the in while playing a game yeah yeah w- wanting to say a thing yes is not the same as being in a position to say it. Right. Right. And so yeah. mm-hmm. resources aren't the only thing that can get you what you want. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it helps. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Help, but process. Process is important. Yeah. Process right. is and important. And that, that can be independent or tied to everything else. Um, but yeah. making sure that, yeah, uh, you're right. I think AAA is the thing that, I mean, it's, it's sort of a cliche of like how like generic and samey it can be. Yeah. But a big part of that is because of the process. Right. Beca- and because it has to be... Um, there are things that are filed away, which sometimes makes people's jobs easier, yeah. but then can be difficult. And so finding that balance and getting some, clawing some of that back without taking advantage of people yeah. or exploiting them creatively or financially. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, now I'm just rambling about it, this friggin' puzzle <laughs> that, that all games are, right? <laughs> Ain't that the truth? I think, you know, I think it's... Um... There's, you know, I think more we want to talk about in terms of like developing an outcry and questions for you about, I have questions about the art and birds, but, <laughs> but before we move on from this topic, I want to say that that was, I don't know, like what you just said about making sure that that was prioritized for you in the game that you made and the, you know, keeping in mind that your self care, but also the care of all the other humans on your team. I think that was something I really needed to hear right now. Because it's like the last few months have been really very like workaholic months for me and uh, and just busted my ass on stuff that, you know, I'm not sure it's ever going to really make. I don't know if it's ever going to touch anyone's soul. And just like, yeah, so I was I was I needed to hear that today. So thanks for thanks for talking through that, because I think it's pretty inspirational. Granted, I have to say it's probably gets a lot harder the more people you have to court. Right. Yeah. That's and you point. know, well, an outcry's team was sizable, but there were certain people who were just contractors and like yeah. deaf to to make one asset and then just sort of stand by and just yeah. kind of yeah. do their own thing also for something else. Yeah. So you know, I will admit. It's easy to talk a big game <laughs> when you are doing it easy mode. No, yeah. that is when you're when you're in a when, yeah. a when you're in a triple A studio and you're a producer in that triple A studio, you can't possibly have a good relationship with like the 120 people yeah. that you're trying to coordinate. It's yeah. not possible. Right. It's not humanly possible. Yes. Right. Yeah. So you know, as a right. result, I do have to like I just to note that I'm not tooting my own <laughs> horn here. It's yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I've had it. I had it on easy mode. And right, I, right. And you know, well, you know, praise be to the producers, the sort of unsung managers. Oh, yeah. Like there's, you know, it's it's uh when 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 it's your project and it's a smaller team, you can take that on yourself. Yeah. It's not that it's easy. Right. I think you know you're you're sort of. You know, oh, you're, no. you're sort of dismissing the challenge you had as a producer of the game as well, right. uh, and you shouldn't you shouldn't um, you shouldn't diminish the the achievement. But you are right. Um, when it gets bigger, suddenly that has to be somebody's job. And I think 
um, that, yeah, so, sort of sometimes the, the middle management is, that's what it's for. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to, it's, it sucks to admit it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> sometimes. Yes, it does. But, but you know, uh, there need, there needs to be eyes on that and process yeah. and, you know, structures and institutional, you know, uh, workflows and all that stuff. Right, that is boring and goes on spreadsheets. Otherwise, it'll, um, it'll, it'll be worse. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, I think that's, yeah. <laughs> Uh, here we go for the blur. Take one. Action. <laughs> um, Nicegames.club slash Discord. Cut, cut. Let's uh, do take two. All right, fine. <laughs> What's there? <laughs> Is this better, Mark? What? No, I'm, Not any better. I'm giving up on this bit. Okay. Okay. Uh, There's cool stuff happening on Discord. Like It's been taken over the last like week and a half by Daily Glom. Yeah. Yes. Um, Which people love. Yeah. I- I'm starting to think we don't maybe need a Discord anymore. <laughs> we can just have a daily glom channel and that could be enough for our, our listeners um we'll they, they have not complained about yeah. the, the ubiquity of glom on there but we're gonna think maybe separate that out because it's done so well into its own little channel yeah coming up pretty soon yeah. so uh if you want to talk about the show if you want to um talk about your experience playing any of the games that we talk about in our post-mortem episodes mm-hmm. um if you want to suggest topics for new episodes yeah if you want to insert third suggestion here um it's just a place to talk with other listeners of the show and it's been really valuable for the people who are there um make new game dev friends which is something we talk about in this episode um and just you know tell us how great our show is maybe i don't know you you, you can skip that part well i'd like to hear that (laughs) um is this the time now can i say nicegames.club slash discord uh yes okay nicegames.club slash discord So can we pivot to playtesting? Okay. Yeah. Um, Steven, would uh, you like to pivot to playtesting? Yes. <laughs> Always, right? Always. <laughs> right. So it's a highly emotional game like you've talked about. Um, it's also highly narrative. I'm really curious about how you approached playtesting and and what that was like. That's the 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 big uh, the big black mark on my soul. <laughs> oh, no, uh, Stephen, oh, yeah. cover your ears. Yeah, well, not 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 not. Well, that's that's uh, putting it putting it too harshly. But what I mean is, like, an outcry was definitely not sufficiently playtested. Oh, there were some bugs uh, out in for the first like two three weeks mm-hmm. that should that a game should not have hmm. chipped with. Hmm. Um, not severe stuff like crashes but soft locks that sure. are at mm. crucial okay. points yeah. and uh um just uh yeah just you know the, an outcry was not sufficiently playtested it was playtested mm-hmm. um the people that playtested it had volunteered for that um and in certain in certain uh, some of them like uh my friend Luke uh uh also known as subwounds shout outs mm-hmm. uh uh, Subwons specifically wanted to play it because he had played it on the Honda PS1 demo disc, the, the demo, and really found the thematics interesting. Mm-hmm. And I found that especially that was especially cool because the way that he perceived the thematics of the game was exactly what I was going for. Ooh. And so, Ooh. you know, the finished game was just more of that and all pointing in that direction. Yeah. So I was very excited, you know, to give it to him and he was very excited to receive it. Oh, cool. And it uh, very deeply affected him. Mm. Uh, 
it was so incredibly affirming to mm. know yeah. that this story that I'd written had landed and yeah. how it had mm. bullseyed into somebody. Wow, yeah. And, you know, that in the playtesting process, Luke did find a bunch of bugs that we fixed. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but in the playtesting process, it really, it really steeled my resolve. Yeah. yeah. And and the, the team's resolve, because, you know, I shared these notes with the team and they were just like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, the playtesting process, while too sparse, for any project to really any professional project that costs money, in my opinion, uh, was definitely a very important thing. And you know, some bad bugs were found mm -hmm. and squashed in time. And we we I did I did like for an entire year post-release, I actually continuously updated the game, not with very much new content, but definitely with a lot of bug fixes yeah. for severe things. So I've I've been supporting the game basically since uh, since the start and up until March of this year I haven't done anything since then. Yeah, I, I appreciate I appreciate both that you you know you got when you showed it to someone you got feedback that was affirming in that mm -hmm. like you know you're going in the right direction. I've heard a lot of developers um, locally in particular um, like come to a playtest event and be like, oh, I already know what is the issues of the game are. Um, but I know what I'm going for and, uh, I don't really need to get it play tested, which, you know, I'm <laughs> vehemently against. <laughs> right. Sometimes you just want to show it off. Yeah. And like, that's not a bad instinct necessarily. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, I think play testing is a way to find out what's not working, but it's also, it is important to see when it is working. Exactly. Yeah. That is just as important. Yes. And like you said, it wasn't sufficiently play tested, but that, that doesn't mean that the playtesting you did wasn't really valuable. Right. And I think yeah. you recognize that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because yeah, some of it is just like knowing it works. A major factor in uh, in in the in in why why I would say that the uh, playtesting of an outcome was problematic was that it wasn't playtested very much during development. Mm -hmm. oh, okay, okay. Yeah. This means yeah. the final result was playtested. Huh. Yeah. But there were a couple of kind of bad design errors that oh. as a result are still in the finished game right because okay. toward the end you can do more qa and less yeah. less design yes tweaks yeah. okay. it's all i mean you know it's important that you recognize that like once it was too late to make those changes you at least recognized it was too late to make those changes hmm. yeah 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 but that's healthy too yeah a major example for that is actually the, the game saving function mm -hmm. the game oh. save function hmm. um if you've played an outcry, you will know that an outcry in an outcry you save the game by smoking a cigarette. This can be done almost anywhere. The game doesn't tell you where it can't be done, but if you try it in a place where it can't be done, it'll tell you, "Hey, this is not the right moment." <laughs> no smoking here. <laughs> this is a. This is a. This doesn't exactly work. Oh no! Ah. There's a bunch of reasons. There's a bunch of reasons for that. First of all, you know, it's kind of uncertain where the player can can smoke. Right. It does get more obvious near the end because like there is a very a point in both routes where the game tells you you can now smoke indoors. And that is kept fairly consistent. Mm. Um however, what I didn't consider is a major part of of gamer psychology which dictates the 
safeguarding of a finite resource till the bitter end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and cigarettes are a finite resource. Ah. And uh, when you have the ability to smoke them anywhere, you're not going to think about it. Right. Oh. If you remember, if I could like sort of comparative, compare it after the fact, I, I, if I had like realized this during development, I would have absolutely done something like this. Um, if I can make compare this to, for example, Resident Evil. Mm. In Resident Evil, you have a ink ribbon and you have the thing you use the ink ribbon in. Yeah. So you can only use the finite resource at a very specific point. And through knowing, through the player knowing that point, they're like, aha, here I can use my ink ribbon. And because there's one of these here, that means I should probably save right now. Yeah. It yeah. is able to tell the player save now without having to tell the player that with text. Right. Whereas in an outcry, I had to tell, remind the player to save, which is not particularly elegant. It worked, mm -hmm. but it wasn't elegant. Yeah. Right, right. And the making that, making that, resource uh, finite right creates that problem of suddenly it's precious but then giving yeah. them an opportunity to or, or informing them this is where you use it even if say the the it was finite but you had plenty making the choice to use it when encouraged to gives the player some feeling of control yeah even it, even if it's just a trick right yeah. um or if it is really finite then it makes that choice important Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's interesting that you recognize that because thematically how you had it does make a ton of sense um, and I could totally see how you how you could have missed that through development because as you were describing I'm like that's super clever yeah. <laughs> and then you describe the problem as like oh I guess that's kind of a problem yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's that, that definitely the kind of thing where you're like uh, while you're doing it you're just like why does no has no one else ever done this before and then you're just like ah that's why <laughs> Well, there's the joy in learning eventually, right? Yep, yep, that's true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> Alan, you had wanted to talk about birds. <laughs> yeah. Quinn <laughs> 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 just so, so excited to talk about it. I love it. <laughs> my, my my segue into this is the art is fantastic and spooky and fantastic, and I don't think I've ever been creeped out by a still shot of a bird like I have been with the art from <laughs> an outcry before. So, but I come from a very bird positive family. Um, so my my background with birds is entirely positive. There's no no creepy birds. I'm curious if the root, you know, like if the birds as kind of antagonist in the game really goes back to that moment that you described, like as like the root and the inspiration of this game where this bird was watching you and then wasn't there. Or if there's something else behind that. Does a bird owe you money? Yeah. <laughs> it goes It goes back to an old Franz Kafka story. Okay. Um, it's the beginning of an old manuscript. That's right. An old manuscript. Wherein he describes the speech of uh, some characters in the story as like jackdaws. Hmm. Sort of a screeching of jackdaws. And, uh, you know, from there, I sort of looked at jackdaws and saw that they had these extremely striking white eyes, like, or blue eyes, even, mm -hmm. if I recall correctly. So they sort of sting out. And this reminded me of something very Austrocentric, very Austrian. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I saw that parallel. And for a long, for the longest time, you know, the birds in that game were jackdaws because of this. 
Um, at least I believe that was sort of the process. It might be that something else also drove that, but I couldn't really be sure anymore. Mm -hmm. But for a number of reasons, I ended up sort of tossing that out, uh, partially uh, because of uh, the background of that specific Franz Kafka story that under a new eye, I realized was kind of racist. Um, mm. That happens with uh, so, a lot of stories. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always look twice when you pull something from that era. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So instead, I had read about the Shrike, uh, the Loggerhead Shrike, yes. a songbird that is at the same time a carnivorous executor yeah. in a way. Mm -hmm. Well, Stephen, you know, because we watched that, that series of Star Trek where they describe what a Shrike is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you know this uh this very small unassuming but brutal bird mm -hmm. that just spikes up its prey on thorns um so <clears throat> yeah i i decided that something like that like a a symbol like that like a a beautiful thing a unassuming thing a cute thing even small you know if you have if you grab a stripe it's like that yeah mm -hmm. Um, like just being the worst <laughs> person you know, and a murderous asshole mm. is was very was very you know was very correct. Yeah, it, it seemed like a good fit. Yeah, yeah. I'll never think of birds the same way. <laughs> a um, lifetime of pro bird sentiment. Yeah, wiped out by one video game. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, if you've played the Ignore Route, you will actually you might actually know that the Birds are not birds. There's something oh, else. Uh, the bird birdness is not birds. So maybe you're in the clear. <laughs> maybe. We can't we can't continue without spoiling it. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm actually curious if a lot of that stuff went into the, the um the promotion of the game. Um, cause you know, this, this got uh, nominated for an award, so people heard about it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm curious the process and how you promoted, um, an outcry. Yeah, not just promotion, but just like how you describe it on the itch page. Yes. Presentation yeah. more broadly. Yes, yes, thank you. I'll I'll be real with you. Like the uh, not very much promotion or marketing went into an outcry at all. Aside from the demo disc for for which a lot of people sort of mm -hmm. caught it, it yeah. caught wind of it. And it was, you know, it it wasn't maybe a standout on the disc or anything, but it was definitely different from everything mm. else on the disc. People had very strong reactions to an outcry. Okay. Either like just abhorring it completely and mm. even questioning its state as a game. You know, about uh, that, of course. Yeah. <laughs> or or it's sort of or even its stature, it's uh, it the validity of its of it being on the demo disc. Mm -hmm. Like that was something that people questioned. Uh, but you know that in turn makes people remember it. Yeah. yeah. And when they catch catch wind through like social media, that hey, this is this thing's out now. It's done. Like you know, a game on the demo disc coming to fruition is a major thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's not easy to finish a video game, and a lot <laughs> right. of the demos on these on these demo discs uh, either either like come like fall fall prey to circumstance or just uh you know fizzle out for unrelated reasons maybe like a different idea came along that was more seductive to that specific developer mm -hmm. or other such stuff mm -hmm. and so you know 
when people heard that an outcry was done, they knew what that game is. Hmm. Even if they weren't interested in it, they knew yeah. what that game was yeah. if they had played the demo disc. And then another big thing was uh, that we I asked Amosori, uh, who is uh, one of the major, a, ma- a major figure in the Haunted PS1 community, to make the trailer, the release trailer for the game. Uh, cool. And I think that thing turned a lot of heads. Yeah. Okay. That trailer is relentlessly effective. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's very it, it very for very simple means it sells what the game is about and how the game will make you feel. Mm-hmm. And I think that was definitely counted for a lot yeah. in, in the process. Another thing I just did is like you know I was fairly active on the twi- on the game's now defunct Twitter. Yeah. Uh, in the days leading up to the uh, to the release of the game, I actually did a very fun little marketing spiel, I guess. Uh, spiel in the German sense of the word, a game, so mm-hmm. to say. Uh, wherein I uh, basically I, I uh, posted something, like two things every single day. One of them being sort of an unrelated thing, like uh, my, my musician sort of recommending music a little short story that I've written from the perspective of one of the characters in the game, Mm -hmm. that sort of deal. Uh, But then also, uh, (laughs) this is kind of a spoiler for an outcry. Uh, In the later part of of the follow route, there is a point where the narrator gets subdued and Mm. is replaced by a bird. So, you know, uh, and I decided to make, to put that, because people wouldn't know that it also happens in the game. Yeah. I decided to basically make the person that was running the Twitter be also replaced by a bird. Oh, nice. Oh, and good. have that bird sort of do, do a countdown. Yeah. Uh, down to the day until an outcry is out. So it sort of stayed, at least for the like first, uh, for the for, for the three weeks leading up to release, it stayed in people's minds. Yeah, yeah. that's mm. clever. What's particularly clever about that is that it works on its own as a piece of of like promotion for the game. Mm. But then it also and it it it's sort of a, a, a stealth spoiler, right? It doesn't really spoil anything. But then when you encounter it, you can if you experience that, you can call back to it, and then it lodges yourself in your brain a little bit more, which is then feeds into what the best way for indie games to promote themselves: word of mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and so having all these things tie together is a way to maximize your effort because you only have so much time to do social media, to prepare key art, to, to get a trailer or commission one. Right, right. Like you have so limited resources, mm-hmm. you have to spend them as with the maximum effort you possibly can. And that is a great example of how you can do that. It's not one that other games could easily replicate, but they could find something like that mm-hmm. um, to get there. And, you know, you're never going to be able to measure the success of that. Also true. Um, that's genius. It, I, I, a large part of me always wants to protest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, as any artist should, right? No, 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 no. No, you, yeah. that's the right instinct for sure. <laughs> but let, let us compliment you. Yep. Yes. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still uh, wilding over the fact that there's demo discs in 2021, 2023, and games are getting like good promotion off it. I think that's oh, amazing. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah, they haunt the PS1 demo discs are yeah. a fantastic project. Okay. Uh, it's starting to somewhat fizzle out a little bit mm. with the because you know the low poly aesthetic and all of that is somewhat starting to recede a little bit. Oh, sure. But uh, 
it is you know it's a it's a they, they, that community was just like lightning in a freaking bottle yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, so, so many like of the some of the most hardworking developers currently like active in indie in like micro indie circles mm -hmm. just came together and created this sudden like sort of uh, <laughs> stage for people to like show off their cool stuff on. Yeah, and somehow a lot of people started paying attention to that. Like. Yeah. That stage had a lot of eyes on it mm -hmm. for a long time, mm -hmm. for like at least three years, which, mm -hmm. you know, in, in, in these times is a mm -hmm. decently a long amount. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, I've made what I hope are friendships for life there. Mm -hmm. And uh, just, uh, yeah, it's a great place, Honda PS1. You know, that, that's a model that is replicated in other communities, uh, genres and stuff like uh, Wholesome Games. Right. Uh, the specific wholesome games, like you've heard the wholesome direct, mm -hmm. um, they started out as a discord for developers to sort of like cross promote their, each other's work before multipliers. Um, and if you can be part of that, like that is so valuable. Mm. I will say like, personally, that's something I've never felt like, like the work that I have done at like my own, the games that are closest to my heart. Sure. I cannot imagine a community would fit into mm. unless I built it and I'll got yeah. time for that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I really, so if you are someone who is able to make something that's unique, but you can find a community of people, of like-minded folks, um, not just all making the same thing or anything like that. That's not what it is. But mm -hmm. if you can find a community that that can, you can get some advantage and build those, develop those game dev friends. I mean, that's probably more valuable than the promotion, cross-promotion you get. Leap on that opportunity yeah. if you can. Yeah, I think that's the lesson here, but also just good advice. And we've seen it all over the place, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, incidentally, I found the document in which I uh, wrote down some of these like sort of promotional tweets that are now gone for mm -hmm. that uh, yeah. thing. Uh, something that you know, also people that haven't played it now will not know. Uh, the antagonist in that in that game uh, specifically speaks in rhyme uh, in a very sort of theatrical voice. Um, or the antagonists, rather, mm -hmm, they yeah. all have sort of have the same type of voice, uh, and. As a result, I have trouble like getting rid of a lot of their lines. Unfortunately, ah. I can't leave them behind fully. So, word of advice to any writers here working in games or otherwise: don't make your antagonist rhyme. You won't be rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, find that with strength, burdens embraced, turned the new speaker and turned the new face. Ten. Terror of terror, grace of grace, fall on our feet, your cut is the chase. Nine. It's always, you know, this very yeah. short yeah. sort of four four line poem that is just uh spoken and then like, you know, the, the how many days until release. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great too. Uh, I love that I love that on Twitter in general, just the, like the little short stories that yep. fit in the well, yeah, because um, yeah. it, it uses the format very well, and I, I think that's that the way that you're doing it here too is is great for the. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the key to any yeah. kind of promotion is mm -hmm. to like know the format, right? Yeah. yeah, and that's that's why community managers and social media uh, managers are like that's why that's a real profession. Yeah, because it takes a lot of work. It does, and if you can do it yourself, uh, like I mean, extra kudos mm -hmm. to be able to to manage that because it's a real skill and it's hard. Yeah. So looking back on the whole project, what did you learn? Um, from building it that you didn't know about uh, that you didn't know about before pick one thing pick one thing yeah there's a lot of things <laughs> or pick 12 things I'm fine with that too yeah, I'm sure there were tons of things that you that you learned on the project that you didn't know before but yeah I'm wondering if you could distill that like down to a couple 
what would you carry forward to the next project? Yeah. There are things I did very right in the process of making an outcry. And I, I aim to carry that with me forward, uh, make sure that my productions don't st- that don't grow in size to the point that I'm not able to perform this kind of uh, labor, mm-hmm. uh, the production labor necessary for like a good work environment and, uh, and, uh, you know, and such. But a def- definite problem that I've, uh, that I'm, that I learned, uh, in the process of, of uh, in the process of making an outcry, I learned that uh, game development's really expensive. Mm, yes, um, it's extremely expensive. Yes, uh, it's uh, you, you like if uh, listener at home, if you don't make games yourself and you're just like, oh yeah, the, I'm sure like games must be expensive. Like you know, you think of a figure, add a zero onto that figure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's yeah. uh it's uh <laughs> yeah. It really is a lot. Well, if you can find a way to avoid that cost, know that you will pay it elsewhere. Yes. Oh right. yeah, yeah. It's not yes. just about yes. money, right? If you can find a if you can find a way to not pay a contributor by giving them credit or something or or sweet talking them, you know, then you will still pay for that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's just, a, and, and, just and you will, honestly, you will, you'll pay with like a part of your soul for that yeah. kind of thing mm-hmm. in yeah. a way. Well, also if you want to, you know, it's like, Oh, I can't afford to pay someone to do this. I will do it. You will pay not just in time, but in stress and, oh, yes, and scope yes. creep oh, and all that too. Yeah. So it's not, it's not just yeah. the corrupting uh, trade-offs you make. It's the, it's the practical ones, the ones that seem smart. Are also you're going to pay for it, yeah. And you know it depends on the resources you have. If you have a lot of time, that's your currency, right? Yeah. Uh, my friend Will, uh, who for a while mentored me in Game Maker Code, and who is uh, who worked on uh, on Freedom Planet Two recently, mm. uh, recently like a couple days ago, actually, really just summed it all up in a single sentence. Quote: Games are really cool, but they require you to be at least decent at so many disparate things and for every thing you're not good at it becomes incredibly expensive mm-hmm. yeah yeah yep. yeah yep even to get to that point where you are good at those things that is expensive in and of itself time like is a cost yep. yeah time is yeah a cost you well. you pay for that in in life expectancy <laughs> which you know i we shouldn't we shouldn't say it but it's true it, yeah yeah so quinn um, where can listeners find you um, in the future if they wanted to get in contact or just see all the new work that you're working on? Uh, well, for one, you know, there's my uh, itch.io, mm-hmm. uh, quink.itch.io. I plan to also use that more frequently as a blogging platform for oh. sort of game uh, game progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, additionally, of course, there's the much more accessible Tumblr blog, mm-hmm. quinkdev.tumblr.com. You can find me on Tumblr. And uh, otherwise, you know, if if you want to toss a coin my way, I guess there is patreon.com slash K. Yeah. It would be very appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned to us earlier before we started recording, you have other, uh, some more postmortem thoughts on your Patreon for free. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a, that's generally speaking my, uh, uh, my ethos with Patreon. Like, uh, it's a very temporary co- exclusivity of like just one week and then like it's publicly available. Cool. Nice. Especially because I wanted the you know the, the process of making this game to be somewhat uh, uh, somewhat you know openly available for yeah. people to see. Great, cool. Well, thank you so much. No, no. Uh, thank you all for as well for having me and you know for uh, 
uh, letting me ramble for as long as I have. Uh, there was uh, there's a lot to say, and you know yeah. I'm the type of person that maybe doesn't get to speak as often as I would like to, I suppose. Uh, at least from the perspective of like actually talking about my work. So I really appreciate it that you all gave me a uh, platform for that. It's been fantastic having you on. This is really an inspiring conversation. And I think it's, you know, it's going to sit with me for a while and I'm going to play more of those games, extend that feeling a bit. Yeah. Learn the truth about those birds. I'm not sure if I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> That's our show. For show notes and links from today's conversation, including links to all of the places you can find Quinn K online, go to our website, nicegames.club. Visit us on Twitter and Mastodon at Nice Games Club, where Dale tweets and toots about game dev resources and Super Mario Odyssey themes. We like hearing from you, so tweet and toot back, or email us, contact at nicegames.club. Nice Games Club is also on Patreon. Support the show and get stuff, including ad-free episodes. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. And if you want to keep things more casual, just stop by nicegames.club slash discord and say hello. Next week, we'll be looking at player motivations and copying others. But that's it for this week. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. <laughs> <laughs>